Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heavenly Father, we come again, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time I have with my brother and sister that you have given us yet another day to partake in your word, Lord, and be edified by your spirit. I pray that your spirit of teaching, Lord, be with us today that you may make all points necessary, Lord, that the intent that the Spirit intends to use to edification. Lord, I pray that no flesh be glorified. I pray that no man's heart be heard today. But I pray that your Spirit, Lord, be at the center of it all, that you teach us what we need and that you empower us, Lord, according to your gospel. I pray every day, Lord, that we have things worked out in our lives. I pray that you take us from all hurt, harm, and danger. I pray that you keep us from the evil of the world, Lord, in the cares of this life, that we may pursue you, Lord, in the inner man, that Christ may live and we may die. I pray, Lord, that for those who couldn't be here today, Lord, that you look after them. For those of our brothers and sisters with real hurt that are going through real things that so much is happening to, I pray that you keep them focused on the goal, and I pray that you turn their hearts back unto the truth. And I pray that wherever they may be, that they may represent you, Lord, in spirit, that you might be glorified. So in the name of Jesus, I bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every demon dog spirit, every Jezebel spirit, every antichrist spirit that is against you, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray that it be bound. And I pray that we be purged thoroughly, Lord, that there'll be no residue of the world left in us. That when you see us, Lord, that we see you see your reflection. You see Jesus Christ, who is the hope of all glory for all to them that believe. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true. And you are worthy of all praises. And I pray, Lord, that your work today here gets done. I pray that your work after we leave here will continue to get done. I want it done, Lord, not for my sake, but for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, you know, tonight's study is going to be called And With Fire. I had this actually set up for a few weeks. You know, I'm always waiting for the Lord to speak, but it's called And With Fire. And I think that that's significant because a lot of us want to be purged. A lot of us want to be cleansed. A lot of us want to do the will of the Lord, and we want more of the Spirit. But there's so much that we forget about, you know, that the Lord intends for us to have, what He intends to do through us. And I think that the only way that we can truly be purged and cleansed thoroughly is with fire. You know, there may be things that the Spirit will take out of you that will give you a bit of delight, you know, and make you feel good and all the peaceable fruit will be grown in. 
but then there's still some residue of the old man that the Lord intends to take from us. So it's important that we understand that the Lord, you know, intends to clean us and some things are going to take more pressure than others. You know, things apply to us. I mean, even when a potter decides to make a vase or a vessel, a lot of the times it's applied with heat that these things may stay in place. You know, that, that even when they would make brick, they would burn them thoroughly so that way the bricks would get hard and that they would be able to build upon them. So I think that God had always intended for us to go through this process. And we're going to see how even in the New Testament and the Old that these two come together. Man, it's just so funny when the Lord begins to show you things how with the Old and New Testament, there's almost no difference. There are so many things that are right, you know, or they may seem like they're not too significant. But when you compare them with the new, then you know why every single work was done. Even when you think about when the Lord tells us not to have blood in our, of animals in our food, you know, those things have to be cooked thoroughly. You know, when you think of burnt offerings, what, what do those mean? How significant are they to the New Testament? So you see, God is, is always intending for us to be wiped clean of the things that are plaguing us, that are keeping us from pursuing him. Mm -hmm. So I think in many cases, when the Bible talks about dying out to self, there really is a purging that needs to take place concerning us. And the longer we, you know, fight the process, the longer we'll end up going through it. But I think there really is a point where when you find this church being cleansed of all religion, all filth, all hypocrisy, all sorts of things where people don't even think the spirit is necessary. When we get to go through all of this and when they talk about trial and tribulation, that's when you're going to find the church be purged and become what it's supposed to be in Christ. Why? Because this is the time that you have to actually be what you claim to be. And, you know, every now and then the Lord will allow this. He'll allow things to happen to us in our lives that we might get some understanding as to, Lord, am I authentic or am I not? And the only way that we can truly draw the closest we can to Christ and to have the residue of the world, the flesh, and the devil burned off is through fire. All right, so let's get started in John 3. John chapter 3, we're going to begin at verse 1. So it says, in those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness to Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, A voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now in many cases, you and I, before we got saved, we actually heard this voice a lot, but it wasn't really that important to us. You know, when you're in the world and you hear a voice of one, it's Matthew 3. You said John 3. Did I say John 3? Oh, sorry. Matthew 3. My fault. All right. So, but when you hear a lot of um, what the Lord is doing concerning us, you know, um, I just lost my thought real quick. Um you know, when we hear this voice crying in the wilderness, what ends up happening is, you know, at the time, it's not that important to us. People are always coming to us 
trying to tell us about Jesus and things. And at the at one point, you were like, okay, well, you know, church is for church. I'll give you a classic example. There was a guy, I remember when I used to work Rose Festival down there on the waterfront, and I used to do security for them, that at this time, I claimed to be somewhat of a Christian. You know, I knew a little bit of the word, but I really wasn't saved. This was back in like 2010. And there was a guy who would come in there with an older gentleman with him. This guy was probably in his 30s, but he would come right in the middle, pay his fare, go right in the middle of Rose Fest and say, repent all ye sinners, you drug addicts, you homosexuals, you this, you that. Repent that the Lord would, you know, work with you. And I remember for a while, people would kind of blow him off. And then you found the crowd getting real angry, you know, so much so that you had almost every group that he talked about surrounding this guy and they wanted to beat him down and he just continued to preach and they kept coming at him. But even me at the time, I had this feeling of, dude, why are you doing that here? Why don't you go elsewhere and do this and that? But I'm a self-proclaiming Christian because I felt like he was ruining the fun for the little children that wanted to go to Rose Festival and have a good time. It, but you see, now my whole mindset is different. You know, a few years later, I'm thinking about it like, what better place to go and preach the gospel that you can wake people up out of their apathetic slumbers? Mm -hmm. But see, this voice has cried to us, and it cries to other people. But when you're involved in this life, and you got so much tied to you, be it religion, be it the, you know, the world or whatever, you don't think that this is that important. You really do feel like it's a waste of your time. Like, all right, well, church has its place for that. But where I am right now, I'm with my family, so I need to have a good time. So I think that these are things when he says that the Lord says to make that way straight. I think it's because in many places we start out with trying to serve the Lord. But then we got this. We got that. We got all these things going on. And our paths are really not that straight. And then we wonder why we can't hear the Lord when things begin to happen. It's because we've got so many other things going on. And that's why Jesus later says, if thy eye be single, thy body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, you know, and I forgot what, what word he used exactly, but he said how great that darkness becomes. If the light that is in the eye becomes darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, I was looking at this guy like he was distracting Rose Festival. But what the guy was doing was trying to set captives free. But you see, the light that was in my eye was darkness. Because I felt like, well, there's a time for God and there's a time for fun. You know what? There's always a time for God. There's very little fun that he talks about in this Bible. So we got to understand that, you know, when the Lord comes, this is what um, John the Baptist is saying, man, make your path straight. Understand where you're going, where you should be. Be led by the Spirit in all affairs. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. You think this guy cared anything about clothes? I mean, <laughs> verse 5. And there's nothing wrong with clothes. I'm just saying, this is when you're truly dead to the world. Verse 5. Then went out to him, Jerusalem, uh, all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth uh, therefore fruits, meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, 
that God is able to these stones to raise up children under Abraham. So what was John trying to explain to the, the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees? That the gospel is organic. You have to be born again. You've got to be born into the spirit. You can't go back to tradition because of where your family started and try and link it from there. It doesn't work that way. The way that it works is Christ in you. Is he in you? Because Christ may be in your family, but if you don't have Christ in you, so what? You know what I mean? So John is saying, bring forth meat for repentance to show that you really repented. And then we can talk about baptizing you unto the spirit. So John was always, you know, about trying to bring people to the truth. Pharisees and Sadducees, they had a lot of false doctrine, but they were also tied to old Levitical law and they were tied to religion. And that's why Jesus said in many ways, your traditions, because of those, you can't hear my voice. And, and I agree with Pastor Price when he says that the true church has never really been seen. Not since the book of Acts, not since the persecution. If you think that you know what the true church is, trust me, you don't. Nobody has ever seen it fully functioning in the spirit the way that it should be. We get little glimpses here and there, but nobody really knows when the Holy Ghost governs the whole church. When we get together and meet and the Holy Ghost says, I want you to send out Sarah, I want you to send out Carla. See, we don't hear instruction like that like we should because there's so many things in the middle that the Holy Ghost is fighting with man and his desires. But when you think of Ananias and Sapphira, you know, when they came in, remember, they were trying to withhold funds. And, you know, Peter asked them, well, why did you do this? And they tried to lie about it. And he said, hey, you didn't lie to me. You lied to the Holy Ghost. And they dropped dead right on the spot. So nobody has ever truly seen the church at its full functional capacity. And that's something to think about. What we think of the church is just like residue. We get glimpses, we get little pieces, but man, when God decides to move and he puts his spirit fully on the church, the church will go through a purging and all those that will be able to make it in this fire will be those that are of the spirit, those who are truly born again. Because you got a lot of, you know, false Christians in the midst, people that try and act and pretend and fake. But when it boils down to it, we're going to find out who's real and who's not. All right, so he said, man, bring forth meat to show that you have repented. And he said, don't try and use Abraham as your father. He said, if the Lord wanted to use someone, he could make stones, you know, obey him and become his sons. That's the power of God. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. This is important that we understand this because he says, when the axe is laid to the tree, this can even be your family tree. This can be everything that you were ever linked to in your life. Man, the axe is laid to that. Do you know Christ? You have to go through a second period of being born again to be able to understand and grow in Christ. So he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So as we can understand, baptism in the Holy Ghost is not baptized with fire or he wouldn't have separated them. He said he would baptize them first with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So that's what this whole lesson is about today, because many of us have achieved the 
the beauty that we get when we're in prayer and the Lord baptizes you in the spirit and you speak with new tongues and we get visions and signs and, you know, revelation. And it's a beautiful thing. But now comes the process of the fire. When Jesus was baptized in the spirit, was that the end of his reign? Was that the end of what he needed to do? Oh, no. The spirit took him and led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil 40 days. And once he had overcome the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, what was the next stage? He returned in the power of the spirit. So Jesus was truly baptized in the spirit and with fire. The Holy Ghost said, oh, we're not going to play around. Now that you've been baptized in the spirit, we're bringing you into the fire because we need to know we need to get all this stuff off of you. And that's why when he got baptized, man, all that stuff came off. Can you imagine being in the wilderness? 40 days, no food, no water. And it's not like going camping somewhere around here. I'm sure there was wildlife out there. Everything out there. And the Lord was just there being tempted of the enemy. And, and you know, proved him wrong every single time. You know, as a true champion, totally denied. 40 days and 40 nights. I'm not saying fasting is the only part of this baptism because I believe Jesus proved himself even more than that wherever he went. But one thing is for sure, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. So I do believe to be baptized in the Spirit is the beginning. I do believe that that is an experience where we become full of the Holy Ghost. But God wants to take you to another place that the flesh may not intervene with the Spirit. Because even when you're baptized in the Spirit, there's still some flesh that can jump in. There's still some flesh that got wants, needs, and desires. The, the Spirit made Jesus, no, we're going to get rid of this. We're going to lose all of this. So you might have been a carpenter's son before this moment. You're not anymore. And that's why he was able to talk to his mother and his brothers and sisters like he did. That's why he was able to go back to his church where he grew up and let them know, hey, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has enabled me to preach the gospel to the, you know, preach the gospel to the poor, you know, uh, set the captives free, heal them that are bruised. And he said this day in your, and that from this moment, scripture has been fulfilled and he closed the book. He was not the same person. We've got to understand that. Yes, he was always the son of God. Yes, he was sent by the father to come down and do the will of the Lord. But as you can see, when he returned, Jesus had no affiliation to anything that he knew before. Mm -hmm. What did he do from that moment? He began to look for disciples. I mean, he rarely returned home because home is not even the issue. He forgot about home. He forgot about everything because he was, he was tried by fire. Mm -hmm. he, and, and not that, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a home. But the point I'm making is nothing held Jesus back. That's why he could go to the Pharisees and say what he said, and they would get upset, you know, and uh, even his own disciples. Do you realize you offended the Pharisees? He said, all I know is every tree that is not of my father that brings forth not fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire because Jesus truly was otherworldly at that point. He really was a son of the kingdom of heaven. And this is what the enemy tries to stop from us, stop us with because he doesn't want us getting to that level. See, we might be baptized in the spirit and children of God here, but God wants to elevate you above that. So that way there's nothing here that can demand that you do anything except what you hear from the instruction of the Lord. So when he says baptized with fire, that fire is to get rid of so much. And that's what we're going to be talking about 
So look at verse 11. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you in the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into thy barn, I mean, into the barn, uh, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So what is he doing when it says that he will thoroughly purge his floor? He's talking about what's under him. He's talking about the brethren. He's talking about making sure that he is going to bring forth wheat. It's going to be productive. And he's got to get rid of those tears that these things may, um, may grow to, fruit, um, to true uh, power. So he's talking about, man, purging the floor. He's wiping it clean. He's starting over, not with Adam, but with Christ in you. So that's important to understand. He said for those who won't be weak and go into the barn, won't be productive, won't reach full potential, that they will be burned with unquenchable fires. And you know what that means. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. And John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. It's like, you coming to me, man? You got need to, I need to be baptized by you. You're the one. You know, he knew it, but it wasn't the time. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. So Jesus made clear, hey, righteousness got to be fulfilled. I know that you know who I am. But as the son of man, I've got to go through this process so that all righteousness can be. Now, what came when Jesus was baptized? All righteousness? The Holy Ghost. What did the Holy Ghost do? Didn't just rest on Jesus. The Holy Ghost led Jesus immediately to subdue the flesh. Now, I'm not saying we got to be like this, this moment. But I am saying over time, the Spirit's whole job is to get rid of the old man. The two cannot live together. But I'm in a lot of places... They'll tell you, no, there's a happy medium. You can live your life and let the spirit live right alongside of the flesh and everything will be fine. When you reach this point with Christ and with fire and we go through the whole process, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And that's the whole point. I'm not saying the Lord can't use you wherever you are, but to be led by the spirit in all affairs is the main goal for everyone that pursues Christ. That's what the fire is for. And we're going to prove it. And Jesus went, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. You notice that it says he went up straightway out of the water. So it makes you wonder. It didn't say John raised him out of the water. Jesus went up straightway. It's almost as if the spirit was like levitating him or pulling him upward. That's interesting. I just noticed that. So then it says, uh, and lo, the heavens were open unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So, you know, that's important that we understand this because Jesus went through that process of being baptized. So when people tell you you don't need to be baptized to be saved, hey, whatever's good for the Messiah is good enough for me. And that's how we got to be with this Bible. We got to be like a, you know, dummies for Jesus course. And what I mean by that is, oh, okay, Lord, so you did this. All right, well, I'm going to do that. Oh, okay, Lord, so you said do this. Okay, sounds good. I'm going to do the same thing. You've got to follow the master, but you've got to be led by the spirit in all that you do. But I mean, if Jesus here is showing us what we need to do, then we need to do it. 
So it says, we're going to go to verse four real quick or chapter four. And then we're going to really get in this thing. But he says, then was Jesus led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards in hunger. And when the tempter, which is Satan, came to him, he said, uh, he said, if thou be the son of God, command these stones that they be made bread. So again, we know that this is the lust of the eyes, you know, or the lust of the flesh, actually, because he was trying to um, get Jesus to disobey the father to feed himself. OK, and then Jesus said, he answered unto he answered and said, uh, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So let's look over that every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, we know that this is the written word, but God wants you to get to the place of the spoken word when you hear the voice of, of the Lord and you wait for instruction. So he said, you don't live by bread alone. Like in other words, some people may, you know, have food to eat. They may make money just to make a living. But he said, not with that alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That is important that we understand this. Because he wasn't talking about doing his will. He was waiting on instruction. And the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any, I mean, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. So now you got the devil quoting scripture trying to impress Jesus, trying to tell Jesus, if you're really the son, then throw yourself off. What Jesus is dealing with here is the pride of life. I'm telling people this is the toughest thing to get loosed from out of these three. Because you see, wanting to be somebody, wanting to be black, wanting to be white, wanting to be seen as powerful, wanting to be seen as all knowledgeable, these things have to be taken from us that we truly become a vessel fit for the master's use. You know, I spoke to a friend of mine not too long ago and, you know, I caught up with them and they were saying, you know, it's good that, you know, um, you're involved in the ministry. And I was like, well, you know, yeah, the Lord's doing work. And then she said, yeah, because we need more um, black ministers and ministries out there. That's when I was like, you know, like, stop it right there, because that's a part of worldly stuff. You know what I mean? We're not supposed to care about that. We're supposed to be colorblind odorless, colorless, and tasteless like water, you know, doing the will of the Lord. So I kind of said a little something to her, and I don't think she really got it, so she was kind of offended by it. But the point is, is that this is how the enemy is even using people today with the news. You see, a, a white man goes into church, shoots non-black people, and what ends up happening? People get mad and want to riot and go out into the street. And then people want to ask me, well, what do you think about that? And I'm like, well, I think a man came in and shot nine people. Like, what do you want me to say concerning that? And it's not that I have any disrespect for the civil rights struggle and all these things that were going on. Many people that tried to pave the way that we could have a better life. But we got to understand our inheritance is above that. Jesus Christ came to do a mighty work for all time that to them that believe it. So when you're born again, there is nothing of the flesh that really has, applies to you at all. You know, it's really about the will of the Lord and what he wants. And this is what it means to die out to self. Because I used to find myself like defending black people when I would hear certain things. 
but now it's kind of like, I may tell the person they don't understand, but it's not to the degree where I'm ready to take off my jacket and get in a fight for them. I might explain to them things they don't know, but it doesn't really affect me like that anymore, you know? And these are things that the devil is trying to hook people to. And many times, you always saw this with Jesus. When he went to go and preach the gospel, what happened? Oh, Jesus, your mother and brethren are here. Oh, John the Baptist, your first cousin, is dead. You see how the devil always tries to, like, link you back to the here and now. So Pastor Price was telling um, a story that was kind of funny. Um, he said, we need sanctified feelings, and I agree. But he said that you could be sitting there praising the Lord, and somebody from your past will call. It could be a member of your family. They could call you and oh, you know I haven't seen you in a week. You know you're doing your mother wrong, and you know that this and that. And the Bible says, honor your mother and your father and all this other stuff. And he said, you know, you could have been in praise and worship, just singing glory songs, but now you're feeling guilty, and it's like now you're being brought back to the earth. So every time we try and escape and get out there with the Lord, there'll always be something carnal trying to ground you because the devil doesn't want you above him, you know? And that's why when we call ourselves casting out demons and doing the will of the Lord. The reason why the demons obey is because your inheritance is up there. When you're truly living above what the devil wants and he's got no effect on you, he may not like it, but he's got to bow the knee because he doesn't have the flesh to grab on. You're not proud because you're only proud of Jesus. You know, you're not um, lusting the eyes or trying to meet your own needs. He's got no affiliation with you. So you can tell him in the name of Jesus, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. And that spirit has to obey because Christ truly lives in you. That's what's keeping the power away is that we're drawn to things that God is trying so hard to cut out of our lives that we might be obedient to him. Oh, man, does that make any sense? Or All right. All right, verse 7, Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up unto an exceeding high mountain and sheweth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, I mean, then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. So he didn't want anything that the world or the flesh or the devil had to offer. Jesus gave it to the Father. And I mean, you know, the Bible makes clear that the devil leaveth him. And behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So when Jesus returned, he came in power of the Spirit. But the, you see where the Spirit led him? Right back into where he was. And that's why he said a prophet will not receive honor in his own home. Why? Because when they last saw Jesus, he was just a carpenter's son. But see, now that he's proclaiming these bold claims and he's casting out devils and doing the will of the Lord, they can't really think about, man, is this really Jesus? Isn't this Joseph's son? So they don't really understand the born-again experience. But God is trying to cut these things from us that, um, you know, your parents are no different than anybody else out there. Yes, you honor them. You obey the Lord. But their salvation is no different than anyone else. And that's what Jesus was constantly trying to do. He was trying to take the world from us that we might obey him. And that's important because, you know, I can say this right now and then something will perk up in me later on or later in the week and I'll find myself defending something in the flesh. God don't want you to care about this stuff, man. So let's go to Leviticus 22 
And let's start at verse 14. That's what it truly means to die out to self. And Pastor Price years ago had a teaching called Shockproof, where he said, you've got to be shockproof. There are things that the devil is going to try and throw your way, and you can't be, you know, restricted by this. You can't be held back. you got to continue to go forward. Amen. But see, this stuff don't leave on its own. It's got to be burned off of you. Exactly. And a lot of people in the world, you try and talk to them about that because, you know, they may say, well, I worry about this and I worry about that. And you mm -hmm. can tell them, it's like, well, the joy of the Lord and the peace of having Jesus Christ in me, you know, cancels that worry. And you're like, how is that? Because it's like, why worry about something that I have no control over, mm -hmm. but I know that God does have control over? And if I believe it's in His hand, then that exempts that worry that that what I once had, and you don't worry about anything. And that's why it's a worry, to, it's a sin to worry, because if we do, we're not trusting in God completely for everything. No, exactly. And that which is not of faith is sin. So the Lord has taken us through this long process. You know, there's a friend of mine, and he gets, um, he says being called the N-word is the worst thing on earth. Like, he's usually a really cool guy, but if he gets called that, man, he goes crazy. Like, he'll fight anybody. It could be a cop, anything. He just gets taken out of, out of the way. And I told him, man, I was like, you can't let words like that control you. I said, those words are dead to us today. He was like, I don't care. There's nothing worse than being called that and this and that. I'm like, bro, you got to get rid of your feelings concerning this. Because if you get called something enough, it doesn't mean anything to you. You see what I'm saying? God doesn't even want things like that affecting you. Mm -hmm. So he was like, no, I believe in God. And I told him, man, think about this. Let's just say the devil's got a trap for you. Let's just say somebody's going to, he's going to send someone up to call you the N-word. You'll get upset, flip out, and end up in prison. And the devil will say, job well done. You know, we've got to be smarter than that, man. We can't be moved by things that happen. We've got to be dead to self. So this is Leviticus 22. We're going to begin at 14. And it says, If a man eat of the holy thing unwittingly, then he shall be put uh, the fifth part thereof unto it, and shall give it unto the priest with the holy thing. And they shall not profane the holy things of the children of Israel, which they offer unto the Lord, or suffer them to bear the iniquity of trespass when they eat their holy things. For I, the Lord, do sanctify them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, Whatsoever he be of the house of Israel or of the strangers in Israel, that will offer his oblation for all his vows and for all his free will offerings, uh, which they will offer unto the Lord for a burnt sacrifice. So notice, this is what he's telling them. And stranger, the people like, um, you know, of the world, like Gentiles, there were Gentiles that were allowed to be around the children of Israel as long as they obeyed the one true God. But this whole chapter here is about what type of offerings the Lord wants to give. Now, first, you know, it's, it's a free will offering. And he says um, his vows and for all his free will offerings, uh, which they which they will offer unto unto the Lord for a burnt offering. Uh, ye shall offer at your own will a male without blemish of the beeves of the sheep or of the goats. 
So notice, it's supposed to be a burnt offering. This is what God wants to receive. If they're going to give me something, it's got to be first a free will offering, and it's got to be presented as a burnt offering. Mm -hmm. It's the same way the Lord uses us today. Present our bodies as a living sacrifice up to God. That's a free will. You can't make somebody come to Jesus. That person has to willingly offer these things over to the Lord. But see, in the end, the Lord burns them. But he will not take a male without blemish or of beads or of sheep or of goats. So no blemish. He wants no sin in this offering. He wants total uh, control over it. But whatsoever hath the blemish, that shall ye not offer, for it shall not be acceptable um, for you. So then you wonder why the Lord tells us that we need to be able to have a pure heart before we pray, before we offer. Why? Because unless we do, there's always some ulterior motive that we have for getting the things that we want. If, if it's not out of a pure heart, it's of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. There are a lot of times people say, Lord, put me in the ministry. And the Lord is like, no, you know, because I know your heart. You want to be a star. You want to be a celebrity. That's not what this is about. This is about obeying me, getting to be like me. All right, so he says in 21, And whosoever offereth the sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow or a free will offering in beeves or sheep, it shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall no there shall be no blemish therein. Blind or broken or maimed or having a wind or scurvy or scabbed, uh, ye shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar unto the Lord. So you see, you got the same list that Jesus came here for, the maimed, the blamed, the, I mean the maimed, the broken, the blind, and all these people that, you know, when he says, when they come unto me, he came to set these people free. He came to make them whole. So these guys are trying to, he's saying, if you're going to offer me something like this, don't give it to me because God is going to make things whole. Now, I'm not saying a blind person or a broken person can't come to the Lord, but when Christ has come to set you free, that you will be set free. He's not talking about just physically. He's not talking about physically blind. He's talking about for those who refuse to see. And that's why only those who can see in Christ are allowed to, you know, believe and actually get the blessings that the Lord wants you to have. You can. And that's why I'm not for infant baptism and all that stuff they try and do. If a child doesn't even know what baptism is for, what is the point? And that's what happened to me as a kid. I was 12 years old. My parents baptized me. I didn't know what that was really for. I heard what they said. They, they believed it was the right thing to do. But I still ended up living like the devil because I didn't know what I was making a commitment to. So God can't take that serious if you don't know what things are. You have to see righteously. So he says in verse 23, either a bullock or a lamb that hath anything superfluous or lacking in his parts uh, that mayest thou offer for a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. Ye shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut. Neither shall ye make any offerings thereof in your land. Neither from the stranger's hand shall ye offer the bread of your God to any of these, because their corruption is in them and blemishes be in them. They shall not be accepted for you. So as we can see, the Holy Ghost's job is to come into us, change us, make us whole. 
Build us up that we might be acceptable for Christ to work through. I'm telling you, it's the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. These things are keeping us from being those proper offerings that the Lord is using. And that's what makes the process longer. I'm not saying that God doesn't work with us through time, but if you look at Stephen, Stephen was a young minister. And within six months of being saved, he's out there face looking like an angel. I mean, the Bible says his face was lit up like an angel. And he's out there preaching the gospel with signs and miracles following him. So you got to understand that Stephen was real serious about his salvation. It's not about, well, it takes about 10 years for this and that. It's what you give to the Lord is what he will work with. If you, He can't take from you that which you won't give. But the more we hand over to him, the more the Lord will work in your life. Because he says, okay, now that I have this, let's stop fooling around. When the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, Jesus wasn't, you know, well... I got to be somewhere at 11. So, you know, you need to make this quick. It wasn't even like that. He willingly went in and forgot about everything that the spirit would work with him quickly. So it says, and when the bullock or a sheep or a goat is brought forth, this is verse 27. Then it shall be seven days under the dam. And from the eighth day thenceforth, it shall be accepted for an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So you notice this is a seven-day offering. Now, you know, seven gets you where? Into the spirit. Remember, six days man was created. The seventh day God rested from his works. Seven is always a number of, of the spirit. But look at what he says. After seven days under the dam and from the eighth day, which is what? Resurrection, born again. And thenceforth it shall be accepted for an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So, man, what could be holding us back? A lot of us are still in the sixth day, jumping back from the sixth and seventh day. And God wants you to make it into the seventh day when the Spirit has fully overcome you, when we are obedient unto the Lord. Then what happens? That offering is made by fire. So it is good at times that the Lord is keeping us from the fire, you know, many of us, because we're not ready to take that leap. But you'll know when the time comes because the Spirit is going to put you in places that you can grow and burn off the droves. And whether it be a cow or ewe, ye shall not kill it, and, young, and, and her young both in one day. And when ye shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto the Lord, offer it at your own will. Isn't this interesting how this is like New Testament? How you have to offer it yourself. No one can make you do it. That's a conscious decision for us all. On the same day it shall be eaten up. Ye shall leave none of it until the morrow. I am the Lord. Now why did he say this? Why did he say that you should eat all of it and leave none of it? If this is that kind of offering. Think about it. The old man has to go. There can't be any remnant, any residue left of Adam that the Lord can work through. Just like Christ, he took it all to the cross that we might have eternal life. But see, he came to destroy Adam. And this is what he means by, man, with that offering, none of that can be left. When any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Yes, sir. And according to our salvation, you know, a lot of people want to play around with their salvation and say, well, I can do this tomorrow. Well, we're not promised tomorrow. So this is kind of a representation of that. Like, okay, 
saying you got to change today, mm -hmm. and they had to do all that right then and there because tomorrow is too late. Mm -hmm. And again, Jesus was the Passover lamb, so I mean, he had to die so that the spirit might live in us. Mm -hmm. So he says, this is verse 31. Therefore shall ye keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. Neither shall ye profane my holy name, but I will be hallowing among the children of Israel. I am the Lord, which hallow you, like makes you holy, that brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. So why did he bring them out of Egypt? Because he never intended for them to return to Egypt. Mm -hmm. He brought them into the wilderness that that dross can be burned off and that they could be made right. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 1. And then we're going to really get in this thing. Isn't it funny how even a burnt offering, offerings by fire, you know, it's the same story. They weren't the giving them the best. Yeah. That's right. Cain. Cain. Cain didn't give his best. Uh -huh. That's what the Lord wants. And that's what we, and we're going to address this right here. It's funny how we went to this chapter and you brought that up. So this is, um, we're going to start at verse one, Isaiah one and one. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and his ass his master's cred. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. So he's saying, man, even the ox and the donkey know who their masters are, where to be fed, where to go. Mm -hmm. He's saying his people don't even consider. Our sinful nation... A people laden with iniquity, that's two. A seed of evil doers, that's three. Children that are corruptors, they have uh, forsaken the Lord, that's four. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, five. They are gone away backwards, six. So, you know, that is that is man at his fallen state. All six of these things would apply to sinful man, all right? This is, um, and it says... Uh, they are gone away backwards, so they're backslidden. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. So as we got to understand, this is the law that, that Isaiah is speaking of that the Lord is trying to expose. Just because you know what this Bible says does not make you a Christian. Mm -hmm. The devil even showed you, like we read a little while ago, he even knows scripture. That doesn't make you a believer. You know, but the thing is, as he's saying, man, why should I even deal with you? He said, why should you be stricken anymore? So the Lord has spanked their butts times beyond measure, thinking that they will turn, will, you know, turn back. He says, you will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. So you don't even have a heart to love the Lord. You know why? You love the world. You love the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. So when you love, I mean, when you feel with a faint heart, it's kind of like a very weak. That's when you have, you ever notice that some of your prayers are weaker than others? 
That's because you've been involved in the world. You can't wait to go to bed. You done gave the world 100%. But when it comes to Jesus, he gets his little five minutes in, and then you just lay down. This is what he means by, the faint, by a faint heart. And I'm not saying a five-minute prayer can't be meaningful. Absolutely. But it just depends on what kind of heart. This is a faint heart. You know, it's kind of like when you tell people, I'm glad to see you. Well, how's your family doing? And you really don't care. It was just something nice to say, like everyone else says. Because even when you hear they got problems, you, oh, yeah, that's messed up. But then you just go right on. It's not even, you get what I'm saying. It's not that big a concern to you. So yeah. it's like, why even ask? So he said the head is sick. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. So there is no wholeness in it. There's no health. I mean, this is a sick head and heart. He said all the way down to the feet, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. So there is no healing. And this is what you find. This is why churches are so loaded. I mean, even ministry so loaded with sin, because the thing is, is they're not giving it to the Holy Ghost that he can work. All you have done is tried to put on your best and look like a sanctified version of what you are. You know, Gary Price had a joke. I, I love the guy. I just wish in some ways he wouldn't say certain things. But he said, you know, you went from the world. He said, you were a whore in the world. And now you're a holy whore. Now you're a holy rapper. Now you're holy this, you're holy that. But you never changed your nature. You know, you're still the same person. You're just going through religious acts. So what God intends to do is build you up to take away all the scabs, all this, all these things that you've got that are so wrong with you. God wants to start over and build you up because he recognized, man, the old man, even with all the laws, even under the penalty of death, that they won't change. Mm -hmm. That's a nature that we're talking about. The only thing that the fire can get rid of. So he says, uh, verse 7, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. Now, I'm going to tell people this is what's coming to America. I don't care what anybody's prophecy said. If you forsake the Lord, there is no way that the Lord is going to stand for you. Mm -hmm. Verse 7, And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a, in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. So you notice the Lord is always using the very small. He's always using those who are dedicated to him. God doesn't make movements where there's a whole world global effect that, you know, everybody is on board with him. Now, God will make world changes where he ends up using few to confound the many that people might actually believe God, but you've never seen anywhere at any time in the Bible, the whole world, you know, it's like he's using everybody in the world to preach the gospel and everybody is getting saved. It doesn't work that way. He said the way, the gate is narrow. Few there be that find the way. The Lord always has a remnant, always a ram in the bush. There's always few people that believe what this word says is true. And there are some people, maybe, you know what I mean? But I, I personally feel, but there's very few people that will read this and say, you know what? This is true. 
Lord, use me how you will that this work will get done. Mm -hmm. It's rare that you find this. Why? Because there's so many things out of the world that we want. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, ye, um, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the Lord of the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of your burnt um, offerings of rams and of fat and fed beasts, uh, and uh, the delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. So where the Lord intended for them to appease him through burnt offerings, he's saying, I'm sick of it. It's not changing a thing. Every year we go and every day we go through the same things and you guys are exactly the same. Verse 12, when ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my cords? Like who even told you it's okay to come into my cords and act like you know me? Verse 13, bring no more vain oblations. So he didn't say don't bring any more oblations, vain oblations. What is a vain oblation? Something that is done outside of the will of the Lord. This is something that you cooked up yourself. This is something that you think that the Lord will want. In most cases, it's something that's going to glorify you and not God. I want to talk before a mass of 20,000 people because I want them to hear the truth. Why can't you start with a few people in your neighborhood? You see, it's a vain oblation. One way or another, it's going to push you up and, and, and jump in front of the Lord. So he says, incense is an abomination unto me. In new moons and Sabbaths of the calling of assemblies like churches, I cannot away with it. I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Even when you guys come together as you're supposed to, I'm seeing so much iniquity, the Lord is saying. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from ye. I mean, from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. So, you know, it is important. And that's why when you go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Lord talks about drinking from the cup of the Lord unworthily. We're going to have a teaching on that too. Because when he means teaching um, unworthily, yes, you shouldn't be a sinner. If you commune with the Lord, you should be doing that and taking it serious with your life cleaned out. But he's not just talking about that. He's talking about living as the Lord lives. And that's why he says if you drink from it unworthily, when you're not doing the things that he tells you to do, you got to ask yourself, am I worthy to drink from this cup? Am I truly a disciple of Jesus Christ? Or am I just playing around? That's something that we've got to think about. I forgot what teaching we brought that up before, but this becomes important because, you know, in order to sit there as the disciples did and Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, he said that about, you know, this is the blood of the new covenant. That means that we are going to be partakers of the new covenant. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect, but the point I'm making is we got to know what it is to be disciples for Christ. Because you see, this is all sickening to the Lord. All of these um, religious works, God is fed up with. He's tired of it. Mm -hmm. He's not doing anything. Verse 13, I mean, verse 16. And when he says your hands are full of blood, you know, that could be abortion. That could be murder. That could be not loving your brother. 
That could be turning people into false religion and things where you should be worshiping the one true God. So he says, wash you. This is what the Lord wants. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. So as, he, as we recognize, it's not going to be an easy thing to just do well. He says you have to learn to do well. How do you learn to do well? Obey the spirit of God. Because, you know, the Lord could be telling us on the daily basis what to do. There's times, man, I thought, Lord, I had a perfect day. No, you didn't. You didn't even hear my voice. He's told me this in prayer. Yes, you ministered to people, but did you hear the other people I told you to talk to? Did you even take that time out to go into praise? I had something I needed to tell you, but you went and spent your lunch with other people. So it's, I'm not, I'm not trying to be hard on anybody, but what I'm saying, it's things like this that we're not, if we're not hearing the Lord's voice, in some ways you're missing the mark. And that's what sin means. People look at sin like, man, it's just a great big thing. You got to go out and do that. Sin simply means to miss the mark. Whatever the mark was, if you walked by it, if you did whatever, that's a sin because we ought to be led of the Lord. Let me make the point. I don't want to stay on this. But he says, learn to do well. Seek judgment. Believe the I mean, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So it's important that we understand this because the Lord is saying, if you do well, then I'll take care of you. If you don't do well, then you're going to be devoured. But he's telling us, man, just be obedient. Come, let us reason together. I understand you got problems. Now, some people will say, okay, let's hear. All right, so I'm willing to hear the Lord. Now that we know that we need to do well, let's do well. But there's only one problem. You can't hear his voice. You've got too much baggage in your life to even get going. So that's why he said, though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Because there are things that he has to take from us. And there's nothing that cleanses, any, cleanses anything better than a good purging by fire. Yes, sir. And when it says here, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Um... That sword is the word of, is the word. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it says that out of the mouth, the Lord, you know, it's like a two-edged sword. Or the mm -hmm. word is like a two-edged sword. So it doesn't mean like a physical, mm -hmm. you know, getting stabbed mm -hmm. through. But this word does, in a sense, do that. And that's why people who don't come to the Lord, this is exactly what they're going to get devoured by. Yeah, they're repelled by the word of the Lord. But, I mean, in some ways it does mean the sword, sword, because... Well, yeah, because the word of God will proclaim things over you. But remember, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others, they were all telling people, get right with the Lord, because if not, Babylon is going to come and own you, yeah. you know, and take you out. But you're absolutely right. That's what the Lord does. So look at these next few verses is why I really went here. Verse 21. How is the faithful city becoming harlot? It is full of judgment, righteous, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Like, how did that happen? 
Um, thy silver is become dross, thy wine is mixed with water. So this is what we were talking about earlier concerning the spirit. Mm -hmm. A lot of us have the new wine, but it's mixed in with water. God is trying to get rid of that old water and let the wine pour through, the new wine. But a lot of our stuff is so watered down that it doesn't have any power, mm -hmm. you know, and that's part of it. Verse 23, thy princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts, loveth gifts, and followeth after rewards, they judge not the fatherless, neither doth the neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. So what he's talking about here is a corrupt society. This is what is really happening with the church, and the Lord has been putting it in my heart to make disciples. And you know, like uh, Carl and I were talking the other day, that we need to come together more. We need to be together more. Because don't you feel good afterwards? You feel cleansed. You feel like you're not in this alone. And you don't just feel your spirit uplifted, but your brethren. Mm -hmm. But when everybody loves rewards, everybody's doing their own thing. That could be said of me. When I'm sitting here doing this and there are things out there and there's other brethren and I'm out here doing this. Yeah, yeah, I like the, what the Lord is doing and, you know, ministry's getting blessed. But what about your brother? What about this person? What about that person? So you see, we can all love rewards and be taken away. The same things that Jesus rejected, many of us today are accepting because we think it's okay. That's the water mixed with the wine. Mm -hmm. This is verse 20 of 4. Therefore saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I, I will ease me of mine adversaries and avenge me of mine enemies. And I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross and take away all thy ten. And I will restore thy judges as at the first and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterwards, thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. And that's why the Bible tells us that we are to be of Christ. Those who are of Christ are called, chosen, and faithful. Why? Because the harlot is the other thing that you are part of if you're not of Christ. And that's why he says that he's going to burn away the dross. That's the problem. We're carrying too much dross. So he's got to take us through that process of cutting that off that we could be set free. He said, loose the colt that I may ride him into town. Mm -hmm. If the colt, you might be the colt for the Lord and he's trying to ride you and we keep going back to familiarity. You know, he's like, I'm trying to ride this horse into town wherever it will go. But we are, no, I got an appointment at six. I got this, I got that, mm -hmm. I got work, I got this. I got Bible study, you know, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but in some cases, if the Lord did tell you, I need you to be here tonight, and you're not. You get what I'm saying? That could be something where the Lord can say, hey, I know you like study, but tonight I need you someplace else. Mm -hmm. And he could tell you that, or he can tell you come to study. It doesn't matter. The call is, what does the Lord want you to do? What did you hear from his mouth? Let's not get caught up in a system always of routine. And I'm sure the Lord doesn't mind study. That's not even the point. The point is, as the will of the Lord proceeds this ministry or any other, it's about what you're hearing from the Lord. And I'm not intimidated to say that because I know I may lose a lot of brothers and sisters, but you know what? That's the will of the Lord. I'm looking to be used too. One day, you know, you guys may come here. I may not be here. Sarah might be teaching or Carla or whomever. But the point is, is it's not up to us. It's up to the Holy Ghost. But unless we get 
purged and get this mess cut off of us, we can't see. We really can't see. I mean, we want to, but it's like, man, I just want to be here. And it's like, what does the Lord want? Like I said, it's a process. It's not something that you just jump to. But he says that they shall be called the city of righteousness and faithful. But he's got to cut the dross, the things that keep us from pursuing him. Look at verse 27 and 28 and we'll move on. Zion shall be redeemed and judgment and her converts uh, with righteousness. And the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together and they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. So this is the Lord burning off the dross. When he consumes something, I mean, he might take sinners out of the midst. That's what the gospel does. That's why you find people that will come and go. They may sit up under 145 degrees. They may sit up under 200 degrees. They may sit up under 350. You know, even though you might find them like, whew, you know, this is getting too intense. You start getting 400, 500, 600. When the word starts washing, I got to get out of here, man, because there's some things I know I don't want to part with. Mm -hmm. So the real gospel will purge us. You'll find people that will sit there under certain temperatures, but you'll find, man, when it starts caking up, yeah, it's time to take a hike. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is more serious than I ever intended for it to be. Yep. But that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, let's move on. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Daniel 3. Daniel chapter 3. And get 1 Peter 4 if you can. I realize the Lord is doing this to me. Like I said, a lot of people from my past are starting to uh, message me and talk to me. And I won't say that I've been cold. But I'm recognizing that the Lord has given me feelings that I need to have. Mm -hmm. Like when somebody's like, man, you act like you don't even want to talk to me anymore. Well, that's not it. You know, every time you message me, I message you back. Well, how come you don't want to hang out? And I'm like, because I got other things going on. Mm -hmm. But you see, a lot of people will try and throw that guilt trip on you and then try and get you to pull pull you back into the world. You yep. can't fall for that. I say, man, whatever. You got to feel what the Lord tells you to feel. Daniel chapter 3. We've all been here before. All right, this is Daniel 3 and verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold in his, whose height was three score uh, cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Shinar. So this is an image of gold. This is obviously an image of a man, and it's uh, three score cubits um, wide and uh, 60 cubits high. Okay, well, uh, six cubits wide and... 60 cubits high. So you know that this is the image of an antichrist. This is the image of a man. That Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province to come to the, de the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So as we can understand and we've talked about before, look at every single thing that is going to follow the antichrist. Look at how you've got the governors. Now, those are the laws of the land. So do you obey them or do you obey Christ? This is something we're going to all have to answer one day. Then he talks about the captains. You know, they try and tell you, well, why don't you join in your military or go into whatever? 
you know, and a lot of people, hey, you got to stick with what the Lord says. A lot of military laws and rules are being placed. Military men can't even worship Jesus. You were hearing stuff like that while you were in there for a little while. They don't mind if you worship Muhammad or anybody else, but you are not to talk about Jesus in the military anymore. Well, they, when I was uh, getting ready to get out, they would have like little um, religious Bible studies on mm -hmm. Sunday, mm -hmm. but all they would do was like sing. Uh, one of the guys told me, he's like, well, all we do in there, we'll sing a couple of songs, and it was led by a woman, mm -hmm. and then he's like, but we really don't get into any scripture, and it's like, you know, well, and I'm thinking, well, what do you expect? This mm -hmm. is, you know, they say, well, you can be in the military and, and know Jesus Christ, I'm like, so how many times do you get in there and you speak about the Lord? Exactly. And that's the way the enemy likes it. He wants you religious, but he doesn't want you having any relationship whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So he says the judges, that's the law. The treasurers, these are the bankers, that's the money people. The counselors, these are your education system. The sheriffs, those who enforce the law. And all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So now you understand why the Lord wanted us extracted from certain things, because you see everybody's bowing to this. Verse 3, that the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers and counselors and sheriffs and all the rulers of the province were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud uh, to you, uh, it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. You know, one of the things that the Lord had done with me when I got further into him, he stopped me paying attention to the stupid news. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was one thing he took me away from, and politics. He took me away from all that garbage because all they do is lie to you. But notice it said in Herald. Like in other words, you know, extra, extra, read all about it. These are the new laws. These are the new rules. And this is what a lot of people obey. I'm not obeying anything that has nothing to do with Jesus. That's the way it's going to have to be. So then he says, and whoso falleth not down and worship uh, shall be the same hour cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So as you can see, as a believer... If you don't obey the laws of the land at some point, you're going into this furnace. And this is a good place for any true believer to be. Now, if you're world conscious, this is a threat. This is fear. This is something to worry about. If you're a believer, you hope and wish that you get into this. Because there comes a point where it's time to stop playing. Lord, you brought me forward for a reason. What is it that you want me to do? Man, this is inevitable if you stand for Christ. And that's why Paul said, For all that will live godly shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But if you live godly, this furnace has got your name on it. Mm -hmm. Therefore, at the time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, I mean harp, sackbut, sultry, and all kinds of music, all the people and nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore at the time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said unto King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. 
Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They um, serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then uh, Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? And if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the flute, I mean, of the cornet, flute, harp, <laughs> sackbut, sultry, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? So as you can see, there are a lot of people that have no faith in the God of the Bible. They have no faith uh, whatsoever. It's making clear. You either go along with the rules of the land or you go along with the rules of the God of God. And this is what I'm saying, that even though Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were of the world, I mean, even though they were God's people, they once had certain offices in the province where they were actually left in charge. But what happened over time? They finally met their end. This is the point where the devil is looking for where is your allegiance. And it's coming for everybody. Right now, we can all kind of, you know, rest in and get into certain places. But there's going to come a point, all right, I want a I wanna show of hands who believes this and who doesn't. So in Satan's kingdom, he's only going to allow you to go so far before he ends up pulling your card and wanting to find out who you are. And that's why our allegiance has to be to Jesus no matter what. So then he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, uh, be it known unto, o, unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So they made it clear, hey, since I'm at the end of my road, I'm letting you know what's, <laughs> I'm worshiping my God. I'm not even dealing with you. So this is something that we're going to be brought to that place and the things like this shouldn't surprise us because I think in many cases we hope that we don't have to deal with this. But there's going to come a point, man, I want to know who's a Christian here and who's not. And the Lord is going to allow this because it's time to find out, do you really love me or are you in love with this harlot? So these are things that he's working out with us. So he says, the Nebuchadnezzar full of fury in the form of his visage, his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. You know, the Lord just made it stand out here when he said he asked the most mighty men in his army. 
If you think about that, everybody, all of these um, officers were bowing down to the beast, then it would make you wonder these mighty men have got us in many ways bowing down one way or another, whether it's through judicial system, whether it's through the money, the treasuries, whether it's through military, because a lot of people are loyal to their uh, country as far as fighting for the country, but they won't fight for Jesus. So you see, a lot of people's loyalty are in other places, through education. I mean, no matter what it is, you can kind of see in some ways we're all kind of conforming with the beast to a degree, but there's going to come a point where the Lord is going to bring some separation. So right now we're good, but let's be faithful with what he calls us to do. So he said he commanded the most mighty men in his army to bind them and cast them into the burning furnace. And these men were bound in their coats, in their hosen, in their hats, and um, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now, we got to understand, they had hats on. They didn't have the mind of Christ. They had hats. They had coats. They were bound in hosen. So what were they either? Bound to the world, bound to the flesh, or bound to the devil. And then he says, and their other garments. So you remember when we talk about being free from sin, the Lord is going to place a garment of fine linen on the believer. Right now, these guys are in all, all different kinds of clothes bound up. So then he says, uh, Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Did Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, he was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto the, his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see the form I see four men loosed, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So as you can see, these people have found Jesus in the fire. Jesus wants to give us more and more of his spirit. But it comes a point where he wants to know what your allegiance is. Mm -hmm. That's what the spirit went and took Jesus into the wilderness to test him. Are you hungry? You know, do you want to be rich? Do you want all these things? What is it that you want, Jesus? You see, these things he had to deal with first. Mm -hmm. Because, you see, if they would have been bound to any one of these things... They could not have jumped into this furnace. But as they were bound with the world, with the flesh, with the devil, they got into the fire, the Lord set them free. They were four men loose, not bound, not laying down, walking in the midst of the fire. With who? The form of the fourth, which was the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that's why God has got to burn them off, because you know what? Not to say all good things about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because think about it. While they were in Israel, you know, I mean, while they were in Babylon and they were serving Nebuchadnezzar, they were pushed to very high positions in their walks. Think about this. They were living good. You didn't hear, I mean, they did say that they wanted to serve their gods and Nebuchadnezzar was okay with it or whatever. They did stick up for the Lord, but you see, they didn't get real bold. They didn't show forth real faith until they got in the fire. You see how Nebuchadnezzar made it, immediately said, okay, so now I'm going to build this golden image. 
And I want to know who's going to worship me according to this. And I want to know who's actually um, serving their God. Because everybody's got to bow down here. The devil is trying to get us all to bow. But as Jesus Christ said, or Paul said, and what the Lord told Elijah, he said, hey, I have 7,000 men that have not bowed the knee to Baal. So the Lord always has a ram in the bush. There, there's many like us. There's many that, are, that we can learn a lot from that the Lord is using. But there are people that will not bow the knee no matter what. Why? Because they are willing to go through the fire to stand for their Lord. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because we've said before that Satan is not going to let, if you're a Christian, if you really believe in Jesus, he's not going to let you have any good times in this life. And it's funny that you say that once, I don't know why I didn't pick up on this before, but once those three got to that position, mm -hmm. then the devil comes then in. Then the trouble came. Then that's when the trouble came is mm -hmm. when they got to that position. It's like, okay. Now that you're here, let's see where your faith is really at. And the Lord allowed it mm -hmm. because the Lord said, okay, now that you've made, now that you're somebody in Babylon, let's find out where your loyalty is. Who are you going to rest with? Because now this is the day payday has arrived. Mm -hmm. So who are you going to be faithful to? Exactly. Verse 26, the Nebuchadnezzar came near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth in the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, captains, and uh, king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was the hair of their heads singed, neither was their coats uh, changed, uh, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Now, you see, before the counselors, before the kings, before all these people, God gets the glory. Mm -hmm. You see how when they stood for the Lord, everybody can see that God is God. He gets the glory. But what's interesting, too, is that they didn't have, I mean, the only reason they were thrown in that fire was to get rid of the clothes. You see, they're perfectly fine. But they had to get rid of the stuff that was holding them back. And you see, right after that, the Lord took the battle even further and went after Nebuchadnezzar. Mm -hmm. So you see, when you fight for the Lord, the enemy will back up. But one thing the enemy likes to have us do, and he can do with great success at times because we're hooked to the world, he'll try and make you flinch. He'll dare you to speak up in the workplace. I dare you to say something about Jesus in here and watch what I do to you. But you see, if the dross is burned off, man, it's just a regular job. You think you're telling me something about threatening me? Don't you know who my God is? Say, so, and while you're sitting here saying this to me, let me be honest with you. You better find Jesus Christ or you will be damned to hell. Now, how many people are that bold? I mean, think about it. For you to say that back and proclaim. Man, don't threaten me. You don't know who you're talking to here. I'm a son of God. But that's the faith that we ought to walk in. But you see how they had the giants in the land in Numbers 13 and 14, scaring the children of Israel. When that new generation came forward, and in Joshua 5, they were ready to cross the Jordan. And those, those um, giants, their hearts melted. I mean, they had so much fear because a few kings have already been dealt with by the Lord. And now they're, oh God, what are we going to do? But they were bold over there before trying to scare you. The devil will always try and get you to flinch. He'll always try and throw something just to see how far your faith will go. Mm -hmm. But if you got that dross burned off of you, you can speak freely because you only represent Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus told Satan. 
Hey, I serve the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So don't think you're telling me something. Mm -hmm. But this is where we need to be is set free. And that's why the Bible says who the son is set free is free indeed. Mm -hmm. Because as long as we are still bound to something, we cannot truly be free in Christ. That's right. Let's move on. 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4 and get Luke 9. Okay, 1 Peter 4, and we're going to begin, I believe, at verse 12. All right, 1 Peter 4 and 12. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. And this is something to think about because we just read Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we can say, man, why didn't they just think about like, man, you know what? I thought God was good. How could he throw me in this situation where I might lose my life? I mean, how, what kind of love is God to just take my job from me? Why does he make me have to do this? But see, this is how a lot of people address the Lord. Man, it's strange. I'm having a bunch of bad luck. All this stuff is happening to me. And I just want to tell those crybabies, man, relax. God is God. Start believing in him. All right, Lord, maybe this is an attack of the enemy. Maybe you're trying me. But either way, let your will be done. Exactly. Let me go through the process because I know I have you no matter what. Anyway, so he says, you know, don't take this fiery trials if some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So you see, he wants us to rejoice in this with long suffering. Man, we should feel good about getting caught up in trouble for the Lord. Not that we're looking for trouble, but this is another time to prove your God right. Man, the devil doesn't do anything with you, I mean, to you, without the Lord being, you know, able for a moment for the Lord to be glorified. Right. He doesn't just do stuff to you and, you know, expect you to do nothing. They're all tests. Okay, let's see how you handle this. Let's see if you really believe. Verse um, 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. So what was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were evil spoken of, but what did they get to do? Glorify the Lord. Mm -hmm. He said... For the name of Christ, he said, the spirit arresteth on you. The spirit resteth on a believer that is in the fire. Why? Because you need him. Think about what I'm saying here. God knows. Yes, we, we got the Holy Ghost, but man, the spirit. Now, I'm not talking about lifting at times and coming back on you. I'm talking about resting on you because he knows, hey, you need me. We're in the battle. I'm here with you. I got you looking forward, and I'm looking behind you. I'm looking in front of you when you walk. I'm everywhere because I know the enemy is everywhere. And that's why when you become a threat to the enemy, you know it, because you're going to have all sorts of stuff break out in your life. Trust me, when you're getting close to Christ, 
Watch what started happening. I'm telling you, if you owned a funeral parlor and that's how you lived, nobody would die. That's what it would be like in Satan's kingdom. He would do something to starve you out. But you've got to know that God is God. You start seeing weird things happening. All of a sudden, your car just stops on the road for no reason. Nothing wrong with it. Full of gas, fully functional, but the devil is going to stop you, okay? So this is how we got to, man, we got to rejoice in this. And see, that praising the Lord, like we talked about the spirit of heaviness last week, putting on the garment of praise, man, the devil can't stand that. That's why when you're going through rough times, you're not feeling good, man, put on some praise and worship music. Praise the Lord. Be happy. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Satan, that you're bringing this upon me because God is good. You watch that spirit leave. Why? Because he can't get his needs met. The devil hates to hear Jesus pray, so what does he do? I got to get out of here. This is making me sick. Good. Leave. But this is what we need to do, that garment of praise. That's right. And God is good no matter what happens. Even if you get another pay, you never get another paycheck in your life. God is good, mm -hmm. period. You going to say something? I was going to say that's how we should be about the world, like sitting there and being like, this is making me sick. I'm about to get out of here. You're right, man. You're right. Because I even feel that at work, man. I'm just, I'm telling you, when James and I came back after a long summer, we were separated in different classrooms, but I knew he had to be feeling what I'm feeling. He was going to lunch with two other guys. I had my headphones on. James saw me, and I mean, the car wasn't even fully stopped moving yet. James got out of the car like, Mr. Allen, I know you feel it. And I'm like, yeah, I feel it. You know, it's just, we hated being there because we spent a whole summer, you know, doing the Lord's will. Exactly. You feel caged. All right, anyway, verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's affairs. Mm -hmm. This is why the Lord wants us to die out because he says when you suffer as a murderer, you know, then, hey, then you got just recompense. You like to kill? You like to do things on your own and not take care of the brethren? Then, hey, this is on you. Or he says, as a thief, the Lord is not going to spare you for that. I mean, you can repent and be sorry, but, you know. You need to return what you stolen. Yeah. What is it? What if it's also talking about murder, as in what we said in the Old Testament, of not telling people about Jesus Christ? Absolutely. A thief of stealing someone's salvation, mm -hmm. and as an evildoer because you know you're not living godly as mm -hmm. you should. Absolutely, absolutely. Because we know that a murderer is defined as more than that. Yeah. A thief, you can steal someone's confidence. You know, evildoer. Anything that is not of Christ is evil. I don't care if your idea is to go out and bake cookies for the whole neighborhood and with little cards on it telling people that the Lord loves you. If the Lord tells you, I want you down here speaking to somebody, and you spent the day doing that, what you did was evil. Mm -hmm. And that's why we got that's why we had that teaching on good things versus God things. Mm -hmm. They're two different things. I mean, yes, you did a nice work. But what you did was disobedient to what God wanted. Right. That's the happy medium that the devil wants to keep us in. Oh, yeah, do some good stuff and feel good about you. But you didn't hear the voice of the Lord all day long. Man, that is evil. And that's what the Lord is trying to take from us. But we've got to be burned off. we got to get this stuff out of us. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. 
And if it first begin in us, what shall the end be for them that obey not the gospel of God? So where is the persecution going to begin first? Where does judgment begin first? At the house of God. You know why? Because if God intends to save or to judge everyone, believer or unbeliever, the first thing God wants to do is, let me see what my church is up to. Okay? Because I can't condemn these people if they never even heard the gospel. So let me bring it close to home first. Let me see what the brethren are doing. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's where the judgment begins first. Okay, you guys are good. All right, you can move on. But if he sees things that are not right, hey, I got to get on your case first. You're wrong because you know the truth. These people don't. Now, they're going to be condemned for not believing because of what they didn't do. But the fact of the matter is you do, you knew and you refused to do. That's something to think about. So judgment is always going to begin at the house of God. Why? That's his government. That's his established people that ought to do his will. So he's going to be hard on us. You know, I mean, I'm not hard like mean, but guys, you know better. Come on. Exactly. Say, man, you can't call this guy a sinner and you didn't even tell him anything about me. How dare you? You know what I'm saying? That's the way the Lord feels. I mean, you didn't even try and minister. So anyway, he says, so what should happen to the ungodly? You know, those who obey not the gospel. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So like Christ, a faithful creator, we ought to be. But notice he says, according to the will, commit and keeping of their souls. It's according to the will of the Lord. We want to be judged. Because if we go off and do something stupid, like I'll give you an example. I can have some bravado come over me right now. I go down a safe way with a bullhorn. And I say, well, the Lord says, preach the gospel. So I'm going to go out there and start blurting out everything, telling everybody about that. But if the Lord didn't tell me to do that and I get locked up, see, that's not according to the will of the Lord. I'm not saying his will isn't to preach the gospel. But the point is, is, yeah, okay, I'm going to free you, but you got arrested tonight because that wasn't what I was telling you to do. You see, this was your foolishness that did this. And I'm not saying the Lord is against preaching. I'm just saying according to God's will. What does he want me to do at this, you know, time? Right. And see, we do go through stages where... If we go and preach the gospel, the Lord will allow it because he commanded us to. But then as we grow with Christ, we become more refined where you come into a full relationship where things you might have blurted out before and said the Lord was he's proud of. But if now it's OK, I need you to obey my every command. I need you to do this next. I need you to do that. So we go from stages from Egypt to being bound, not saying anything unto the wilderness, kind of lawless to some degree. Because we are doing the works of the Lord. We know what's right. But we're not fully following him like we would if the spirit fully covered us. Does that make any sense? Because I'm not trying to say like there's anything wrong with preaching the gospel. But we grow greater into relationship. It's like how kids don't obey their parents. But eventually they do as you mature. You recognize the advice that you received was right. And you don't have all that youthful foolishness in your life that you want to obey. Yes, sorry. Well, it's point I think here is is that if we go out in our own confidence and mm -hmm. not according to what the Lord tells us to do then it's more about us being heard 
than us preaching the gospel mm -hmm. and his words coming forward. Absolutely. Let's go to, um, well, I know we got Luke 9 there. Just hold that. Uh, I want to go to Revelation 3 real quick. Revelation 3, we'll begin at verse 14, since it's right next door. But man, we just got to go through the process. If we're hearing the Lord's voice now, that's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. But let's let more be burned off so we can hear even more, loud and clear. Loud and clear. That's why, you know, I, I feel bad about it, but... Most times the Lord talks to me early in the morning and, you know, when I'm shaving or I'm doing something, it seems like that's when he talks to me the most or when I'm sleeping. You know what that means? Derek, you talk too much. You know, you're too involved in what you need to do instead of hearing him. But when I hear him the most, he's got to wake me up in my sleep because my mouth is so big because I'm always doing something. Hey, I don't mind. I'm just saying that. It's kind of pitiful that your mouth has to be shut. you got to be almost unconscious for the Lord to speak to you. Man, you know, that's just showing me I need work. That's all. That's just being honest. So this is uh, Revelation 3 and 14. I heard something real quick. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, bro. It's funny that you were saying, but it's uh, 4, 10, um, and still in First Peter. Uh-huh. But it says, Every man hath received a gift, even some minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If mm -hmm. any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God and all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is awesome. Because that's just like what we were talking about. So, hey, he just confirmed it. The Lord just backed it up through Carlin. Yes, Derek, you talk too much. <laughs> Start hearing me. But, you know, this is so true. So, I mean, and that's why when the Bible says be slow to speak, quick to hear, quick to listen, because, you know, he says every idle word will be brought into judgment. If we really believed that, we would talk a lot less. Mm -hmm. And that's why people better stop saying, the Lord told me, the Lord told me. If he didn't tell you that, you better be real careful. Because those things, you don't play around with that. You either heard from him or you didn't. Exactly. All right? And if you have done that, repent and the Lord will work it out with you. So this is Revelation 2, I mean 3 and 14. And it says, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, thou that are thou art neither uh, cold nor hot. I would thou were uh, cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So as you can see, God wants us to be in one place or the other. We've got to be faithful. Because he's saying, you know, you're no good to me if you're loving the devil and, and me at the same time. Don't think you're doing me a favor. He wants you to be red hot for him or just cold. He would rather that. So that way he would know where to place you. Mm -hmm. But when you're lukewarm, you're cheating on the Lord and you're cheating on the devil. I mean, to be honest with you, you're kind of like trying to help both of them out. And the devil doesn't mind that because he knows that you'll join him in the pit if you continue. But Jesus is bothered by that because if you're my bride, stop playing the harlot. You know, come home, listen to me, be intimate with me, spend time with me so that I can direct you. But the devil don't mind you being lukewarm. He's got no problem with it. And that's one thing about our adversary. Whatever he can hook you with, he will do. 
He doesn't have rules. So whatever he says is okay. I mean, whatever he go, oh, all right, well, you're only listening to the Lord 80% of the time, I'll take it. You know why? Because that other 20% will damn you. That's the thing that he cares about. And I'm not trying to be hard. The Lord is going to work all this out with us. None of us are saved until Christ be fully formed in us. Saved is a process. And that's why he says, he that endureth unto the end will be saved. But we've got to believe and keep believing. So he says, um, because, this is verse 17, Thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now notice, what we just read in Leviticus 23 or 22 about the sacrifices. You couldn't offer these things up to the Lord, remember? No blind, no maimed, no lamed, no halt. None of those things. So as he's saying, you see how they're halfway in the world claiming that they're increased with goods, having need of nothing, and they, they've got it made? God does not want an offering like this. If he didn't want it in the Old Testament, he doesn't want it now. But look what he does want. 18, I counsel thee. So the Lord is speaking to you. To buy from who? Jesus. Gold. Tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich uh, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thy eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. So what does he want you to have a fresh perspective? What does he want you to know when you're hooked to things, when you're not serving the Lord? He's counseling us, man, buy from me gold. And this isn't just any gold. This gold has been tried in the fire. You can rest on this because the only one that is going to make it through this, these fiery trials is Christ in you. Mm -hmm. You will turn away. Even when people marry, it's just amazing how people go, I trust my wife, I trust my husband. You can't trust your wife or husband. You've got to, you got to trust Christ in your wife or in your husband. The flesh can't be trusted in any affair. It is Christ in you. Exactly. So he said, man, buy this gold. Why? So that you truly will be rich. Why? Man, you've got a whole kingdom of God. You've got white raiment. You may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness, that sin, is taken away from you. And not only will you have that, but you'll be anointed. Your eyes, you'll be able to see things for what they really are. What is of Jesus and what is of the devil, which is going to be Tuesday's study that we're going to get into. But then he says, so that you can see. And as many I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So the Lord is saying, hey, if I love you, I'm going to put you in these trials. I'm going to see where you are because I need to know, you know, are you with me or are you with the enemy? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So what is he talking about? He's at the door knocking. Think about this. What's that door? Our will, ourselves, our the, nature. <laughs> the veil. Yeah. He's coming to the door. He's at the veil. You guys want to know who I am, right? You want to spend time with me, right? You want my instruction? I'm at the door knocking. So if you open that veil, you get behind that veil for Christ. Lord, reveal yourself to me. He's going to step over. See, this is what I'm waiting for in my life because it hasn't happened to me, and I can admit that. Pastor Price met the Lord twice. Or A.A. Allen met the Lord in his closet. 
And I don't think the Lord ever stopped being with A.A. Allen, honestly. Whenever you can be in a tent preaching and you got fire, glory fire coming down over the tent, I mean, coming down slowly, and the tent's not even burning, like the burning bush in the time of Moses, that's about as close to the Lord as you can get. Mm -hmm. I mean, with his glory, what does he call it? The powers of the world to come. That's beyond raising the dead. That's beyond casting out devils. The powers of the world to come. Jesus said greater things will they do than, than, um, than he did. That was here. So if we want to get to Jesus, then we got to let the veil move out of the way. The veil is what's keeping you from seeing. It's what's keeping you from believing. It's what's keeping you from moving forward. But see, when the Lord starts to burn all that away, and that's why when you fast, you start seeing all kinds of things. When you really get locked in with the Lord in deep, don't be surprised one day if you see somebody walking down your hall and you're like, whoa, what was that? That's because you're getting behind the veil so the spiritual realm is becoming more real to you. Mm -hmm. He said, man, come. He said, he'll sup with him and he with me. To him that overcome and see, will, he, will I grant to sit with me at my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my father at his throne. So we are to be no lower than our Lord. He said it is sufficient that we be as our master, you know, but not greater than him. So if we don't think that we need things burned out of our lives, we can't serve the Lord. Let's go to Matthew 9. Is it Luke 9? Um, Luke 9, sorry. I mean, and that is just, that is so true that it really does take us being purged with fire. And it does take us... Um, going through these persecutions to see what, I mean, because it's like, how do we know we have faith if it's not put to the test? And I was watching a documentary the other night on people who believe in the Lord in other countries. And one guy was in Pakistan, and over there, you know, they have Sharia law. And if anyone goes against Islam or the Quran or Allah, they are considered an infidel. And this one guy... He used to be, he was raised um, in a mosque, you know, in uh, Islamic family, and he would actually uh, persecute Christians. And this was just a few years ago that this happened. He would persecute Christians, and he would get people in his mosque on board with persecutes and beating Christians. And then one day, he, uh, when they were out there doing this, he actually got the Bible, one of the Bibles that were left behind, and he took it home and he started reading it because he wanted to be able to use it against the churches. And he said, and all of a sudden this bright light just shone around in his room for three days. And he said the light spoke to him and said, why persecutest thou me? Like what was said to the Apostle Paul. And he said after the third day, he knew that it was Jesus Christ talking to him. And all of a sudden from that time forward, he wanted to believe in Jesus Christ and accept him as his savior and he was trying to tell his family as soon as he had been converted about Jesus Christ but they didn't want anything to do with this so what happened was that they ended up turning him in and in the next three years he was beaten and he was he was like beaten all the time and uh, he was getting ready they were getting ready to hang him after three years of imprisonment and all of a sudden an order came saying don't there was not enough evidence to hang him, and so he was set free. And from that time forward, he went out and preached the gospel. But it's just, 
as having, you know, I mean, he would not deny Jesus Christ, even though he was in prison for three years. He kept that faith. And, you know, that's the same kind of faith that we have. But he was he was put in the fire from the very beginning. Exactly. And that's why, um, you know, the Lord, we just really got to follow him, you know, get back there behind the veil and do his will. Mm -hmm. That's why in the Old Testament temple, you couldn't go into the most holy place unless the sacrifice was made in the inner court. You see how you come from the outer court, you bring the animal into the inner court, you sacrifice the animal in the inner court, and then you took that blood unto the most holy place. Mm -hmm. That's what's so amazing about it is that you can't get behind that veil unless the proper sacrifice has been made. Right. And that's why we might get a peek every now and then, but you don't really fully live in it completely like Christ did unless the this perfect sacrifice is made, unless we have fully given it over and the Lord can trust us, man, and he's going to move. Exactly. But this is a process, man. I mean, there are, especially like Christina and Carlin, man, you guys have gone so fast, you know, into this, knowing Christ and everything. You guys are far more mature, you know, than I was at that. I mean, just starting out. Mm -hmm. Forget it, man. I was like a pinball jumping back and forth in the world doing whatever. So the Lord, he's doing something great. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but I think he's just raising up a younger group, man. People that are willing to be serious in this. That's true. You know, make a total turn. So this is, uh, we'll start at verse uh, 48. This is Luke 9 and 48. And he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name, receiveth me and whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me for he that is least among you all the same shall be great and john answered and said master we saw one casting out devils in thy name and we forbade him because he followed not with us and jesus said unto him forbid him not for he that is not against us is for us so we've got to understand that it's not about just being in one group, one particular place. We've got to be set free. This guy just believes. He wasn't even a disciple. Mm -hmm. He saw what they were doing. He believed. And, and it didn't say he was trying to cast out devils. He was casting out devils. But you see how John and them were religious? Mm -hmm. And they were, well, Lord, well, he wasn't walking with us, so we stopped him. That's not up to you. If it worked, then you know that the Lord is with him. Verse 51 and it came to pass when the time was come that he should uh, be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into the village of Samaritans and make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So he didn't look like a Samaritan. You see this? So when you don't look like something, you see how everybody clings to their heritage? Mm -hmm. And when his disciple James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elijah, like Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So it is important that we understand that God sees the potential in every situation that his will ought to be done. But you see, again, they're so religious because of how they treated Jesus, you want to see a person destroyed. And the Lord said, you think that's of my spirit? You want to see a person burned or destroyed by fire? 
Lord said, man, I'm not here for that. I'm here to save people. And they went to another village. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have not where to lay his head. So Jesus was making clear, hey, you want to follow me, but I want you to know I'm not, I don't have any allegiance to anything. I don't even have rent to pay, okay? I'm out there doing what I'm told to do, you know, like whatever. I don't have a landlord to answer to. Wherever I lay my head, that's where I am for the night. Wherever the Spirit leads me, that's where I go. And he said unto another, follow me. So remember, when, when Jesus tells you to follow him, you're called. Yep. That's something we got to recognize. You also, you know, you're called to come. Whether you're chosen or not kind of goes into what the 70 disciples did. Remember when they finally heard from the Lord about what he wanted from them? How he said, hey, the... um." You know, I am the bread of life. He that drinketh and sup with me shall never hunger, shall never thirst. So that meant that, hey, you got Jesus. You don't need anything else. But see, that's when they were, they could have been chosen, but they chose to go back the other way because they're like, well, we were called. But now that we saw what this thing is about, I don't want anything to do with it. You either want to at that point or you don't. So the Lord does the choosing. But when you're faithful, it's like what the disciples said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou has the words of eternal life. We believe that you are the Christ and we are sure, <laughs> you know, that you're going to, you know, he's going to lead them. All right. So he says, follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus saith unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. You see how free you've got to be and dead to yourself to even acknowledge this of the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's what he told them in Matthew 28. Why seek ye the living amongst the dead? Why are you even seeking the dead? You know, think about it. We want the life of Jesus Christ, but then we go to dead places to try and get spiritually fed. We've got to be alive with Christ. You've got to follow him to do what he wants. But you see, he said, man, let the dead bury their dead. He wasn't trying to insult him, but hey, what's done is done. Now, we need to get on with the Father's business. That's how serious Jesus is with this. We're seeking the living amongst the dead. We're seeking Christ amongst the dead. We need to seek Christ where there is life that we might grow. Where he tells us to go, we go. Mm -hmm. But if you're tied to something, you know, hey, this is it. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, at my house. So where is this man hooked to? His family. You know, and it's not like the Lord was upset with any of them, but he's just letting them know, guys, this is important. You say you will follow me. My question to you is when? When are you going to follow? When are you going to do what I'm telling you to do? Oh, you're going to be here tomorrow? Well, I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow. The Spirit is leading me off to Capernaum. I don't know what to tell you. This is what we got to understand. Jesus didn't really wait. When he said, um, the guy said, let me um, bid them farewell at my house. You would thought that the Lord would have just said, all right, I'll go with you. I'll stand outside. You can tell everybody goodbye. I'll come in and meet your family and then we can move on. See, it's that serious to Christ that we can't be bound. And look what he tells the guy. And Jesus said unto him, no man ever put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He didn't say not to go back. 
He didn't say to go back. I mean, or, or not to go. He gave him the answer. You ain't fit if you keep running back. You got to keep going forward and advancing. And I'm not going to lie, as a believer, I've got that fear at times. I know when you're starting to step out on the limb with Christ. You know when you know it? Because the world just starts to ignore you. You can come into work. Get, get full of the Spirit. You guys think I'm joking? Pursue the Lord for real for a week and shut everything out and then go to work. And then try and tell people, you know, just say hi to people like you normally do. You ever notice some days you feel like you're being ignored? Has that ever happened to you when you come in and you're like, hey, how's it going? And the person walks right by you. And I'm like, wow, they got attitude or something today. It's because you're starting to be more like Christ. They don't mean to ignore you, but you're just irrelevant. You're in a different veil right now. You're not with me. Yeah, the Spirit started to show me how to like enjoy that time when it's like that. Mm -hmm. you know, like, that's your time now to focus on me. That's right. You're like that. You know? Amen. And that's what's so funny because you try to, your flesh will try and fit in. Like you go and say something that you think is important and everybody's like, you know, and they're really, I really don't think they're trying to ignore you. They just don't want to, you're not there with them. You know what I mean? So it's your flesh that's trying to connect and people are ignoring you. That happened to me quite a few times. And I'm asking the Lord, and I should have been listening to what Carlin is saying. I'm asking the Lord, why is this happening? You know, and the Lord is like, do you want to be with them? Like, is it really that important to you that you go and sit with them or speak to them? You should move forward. So there's days that I get it, but then there's some days your flesh is like, well, I wanted to say hi to this person, and now they're ignoring me. we got to kick all that stuff to the curb. Uh, Hebrews 1 and I think I should, Hebrews 1 and 1 Corinthians 5, and I think I should be done. Yeah. Okay, it's a little after six, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. I think we started a little after four. So we're right at that mark. Right, Hebrews 1, we'll begin at verse 1. And it says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heirs of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. So look at all that Jesus had done. Man, verse 4, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So what does this mean? Jesus was created? No. This is saying being made, that for being made is being established. He was established better than the angels. Okay? Because of his inheritance, that's what they're talking about that he had a more excellent inheritance than they. For unto which of the angels said God, said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, uh, when, when he bringeth in the uh, first begotten into the world, 
he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. So as we understand, God doesn't want us just being in the spirit. He doesn't want us being full of the spirit. He wants us to set a blaze. Now, everybody knows how hard it is to put out a wildfire. Okay, I'm not saying the fire will burn wild. It'll be controlled. But the bottom line is God wants us to catch fire, everything that is. Ministers of, he makes his ministers flames of fire. I remember when Carlin was telling me not too long ago, you said your hands and your feet were feeling real hot. Man, that's when that spirit is all over you. When your hands are just burning hot, your feet, like you get excited, you hear the Lord, and you feel your whole body warm up. Man, that's... We're going to catch fire. Believe that. Verse 8. But unto the Son he saved, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. So you see what we got to be to walk with the Lord? Mm -hmm. Love righteousness, hate iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They, uh, they shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old, and doth, as doth a garment. And as a vesture shall thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Um, but to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So you got to think about this is that it's making clear that Jesus was separated. I mean, this is a real important part I want to make, but Jesus is separated from everything, everything that was ever created, everything that God ever used. Jesus sits in a class by himself with the Father. Now, we got to understand, if we be the sons of God or the manifested sons of God, or we become ministers as a flame of fire unto God, not only do we have his inheritance, we will sit with him because he said that his bride will reign with him. But we've also got to recognize, too, that even the angels would submit to what you said because you are of Christ. It is so important that we get this because this is why when we were talking about before casting out devils, laying hands on the sick, man, whatever Christ says, it will be done. So if we walk in that inheritance, free from the world, free from sin, free from the devil, and we only desire the things that Jesus desires for us, you don't think the angels themselves will go to war when, when the Lord tells them to in you? You get to have the same inheritance, the same authority, and you get to do the righteous works of God. When he speaks through you, things will be done. When you lay hands, things will be done. But we've got to stop trading out the inheritance that God gave Jesus Christ unto one, unto fallen man. Man caught up in the world, lukewarm man. He wants man after Christ. Hebrews 12, and then we'll finish in 1 Corinthians 15. The Lord just told me to go here, so I'll just look at something real quick. We'll start at verse 14. 
Hebrews 12 and 14, what does he say? Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, uh, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So what does he want us to have? Pure hearts, not caught up. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. So you see, this can actually happen to us. You end up selling your birthright. And that's why Jesus said, what does it um, profit a man to gain the whole world mm -hmm. and to lose his soul? Yep. Man, ain't nothing worth that. 17, for ye know how that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessings, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. So when God is done with the situation, he's done. Now, I'm not saying that would happen to us, but think about it. If you sold your birthright, which is Christ in you, which is eternal life, and you lived in the world, loved the world, did everything that the world said, and the will of God wasn't fulfilled, on the day of judgment, you think because you're crying that that's going to make a difference in, in the Lord's eyes? When he's warned you so many times, when he's had grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. So even though Esau here is seeking it with tears, he's crying, man, you sold your birthright. What do you want me to do? This is the end of it. You didn't think much of it to begin with. You sold it to your brother Jacob, who would have given you anything for that birthright, because Jacob knew that that's what was important. Jacob says, sure, if you sell me your birthright, I mean, Jacob had a weird way of doing it, but the fact of the matter is he knew the birthright was valuable. But Esau is like, man, let me get some food. And then um, Jacob said, all right, well, give me the birthright. What did Esau say? Well, what does it matter lest I die? So what did he do? He gave up his inheritance just for a bowl of pottage. And that's what many of us are doing today giving up the inheritance of God for a bowl of pottage. And you see, that's why Satan offered Jesus that. You see, command these stones that they be made bread. Jesus is going after the inheritance that the Father gave him. Man, I don't want none of your garbage. I'm going to obey the Spirit and make things work out. Adam and Eve, all you got to do, take a bite. See, same thing. For your inheritance, he wants you to indulge in the world. Yep. Man, the devil is slick. Verse 18, for ye are not come unto the mouth that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that um, heard entreated, that the word should not be spoken of them any more. For they could not endure that which, um, which was commanded, and if so, uh, much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. So he's making clear that what he's trying to say is, if anything that would come before the Lord unrighteous, the Lord is just saying that, man, that thing would be profane, that it would be stoned. So th this is what he meant by without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. You got to come before him right. You see what God would do, man, thrust through, man, this thing is worthless. Verse 21, and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. What's also keeping us connected to the world? No fear of God. Mm -hmm. You see, but Moses is saying, hey, from what I saw, you guys, even they told Moses, you go and talk to him. We can hear like the thundering and lightning up there. They didn't want anything to do with it. 
So see, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God and heavenly Jerusalem and in an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven and to God, the judge of all and the spirits of just men made perfect. So this is our inheritance. This is what we would be walking into. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that um, speaketh better things than that of Abel, see that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refuseth him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. So what do we need to do? Hear God's voice. And this is what the enemy is trying to tie us to things to keep us from this. He's saying, man, you know, if you think by escaping Jesus that you're getting somewhere, but he's also telling you, you're going to escape a lot. You're going to have a lot less, a lot more that you'll be escaping as not being with him. All right. Verse 26. Uh, Whoso, I mean, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised saying, Yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And the word yet once more signifieth the moving of those things that are shaken as of, of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So things that will be of God, that will be real, they will last. And that's why he tells us, don't lay up for yourselves things on earth, only things that will endure those treasures that Jesus tells us to, that rest in heaven. Where am I? Uh, verse 28. Mm -hmm. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So you see, that's what gets you in. Reverence in the Lord, loving him, no doubt. But godly fear. You don't want to not hear him. You don't want to forget about him and go and do what you want. You want to hang on his words. For our God is a consuming fire. Mm -hmm. So not only is he a fire, he's a consuming fire that this is what we can have in us. This is all a part of those trials, man, that, that the fire may grow in us, that we might burn, not burn others, but help others to catch fire and desire the Lord. All right, last scripture. Um, 1 Corinthians uh, 5, we'll begin at verse 1. This is going to be short. Now, we cannot make it without the fire. Amen. We need the fire. And people try and avoid it at all costs. You can't, man. That's a part of your growth. I wouldn't say you get into it unless you're ready. But the thing is, is if the Spirit brings you unto it, you've got to follow Jesus didn't follow the spirit thinking about, man, I didn't pack a lunch. I didn't have food. I didn't do this or that. You know, he went wherever the spirit, you know, dealt. Exactly. All right, this is 1 Corinthians 5 and 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Now, that's what you call being up front. You know, ain't no burning, ain't no around the bush, <laughs> no going around anything, just straight up. Hey, I heard there's fornication in here. <laughs> You know, not, well, some people are doing good and others are not. He's telling them straight up, there's fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, 
that one should have his father's wife. So not just any kind of fornication. This is incest going on in here. You know, father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from, from among you. So what Paul is saying here is, remember when he talked about burning off the dross, that if this situation doesn't get fixed, don't be puffed up and act like this is normalcy. God will remove the threat from the, from the midst of his temple, from his place. So he says, For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. And that's why when people tell you you cannot judge, we got to start really looking at things that we're all judged according to this word. It's better that somebody tells you about your sin than to have the Lord come and see you himself. Because what you hear a lot of today, nobody judges me but God. You don't want God to come see you in this matter. You want to be told about it so you can stop. That's right. You know, because if God comes to see you, there'll be nothing to talk about. Mm -hmm. Verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And as you can see, he's talking about cutting around the fill. He's saying, hey, if a person is like that, that they might be turned unto Satan for a while, so hey, so that the spirit can be saved. I mean, this is... God is not about separating people, but don't think the spirit won't turn somebody over. You've seen Paul do it. I've turned over Hymenaeus and Phileas till they learn not to blaspheme. So that was a lesson to help. That wasn't a lesson to condemn. It was kind of like, well, when you get done with this, then you're going to understand what grace and mercy is, what pursuing the Lord. And every now and then, God will allow us to go through these trials because we need them. He'll see you going a little left and he's trying to pull you in and you don't want to go. Okay, go to the devil for a while and see how he treats you. Then you can understand what love is because I know you're going to be back. But sometimes God will allow us to, you know, we start getting full of pride and I'm okay and I can do it. He'll let you go because he wants you to understand, all right, aside from me, you can do nothing. Exactly. And Carl was smiling. You going to say something? Or? No. Oh, okay, this is verse 6. Your glorying is not good, see? Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole love? Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. That's why we got to give it to the Lord. Look at what he says. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump. And ye are unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Mm -hmm. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not the old, um, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to, um, not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. So you see, he doesn't want us to stay in these places because if we do, we become fornicators, we become covetous, we become extortioners, we become idolaters. This is the dross that the Lord is burning off that we might be right in representing him. So he said, you got to come out of the world because this is the only thing that the world can forge. Mm -hmm. Verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to 
keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such in one, um, know not to eat. Watch your one, know not to eat. Uh, for what have I to do with, to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. So no, you know, this is what he's saying. All right, you're going to go out there and judge the world. We got to find out what's going on on the inside. And that's why he said judgment must first begin at the house of God. You've got to make sure that this is right before we go out there. How do we even go and preach the gospel and, and um, grow in Christ? We conquer inner space. Inner space first. Dealing with what's in us. Then we can go out and tell the whole world. Why? Because we wouldn't be hypocrites. It would be true. Mm -hmm. That you don't, you know, you can talk about these things because you don't do them. But if there's some things that you're still doing, I mean, of course, there's growing pains and the Lord is working them out. But as we go through this, the fire is going to purge us. The mistakes we make, the more we strive, the more we pursue Christ, the more battles that we're in, it's going to burn off the dross. Man, the more God-like you become, your friends are going to walk out of your life. Believe me, man, you're just too godly for me. I don't even want to be around you. That's purging. Because what do we do sometimes? Pick up the phone. Hey, have I said anything to offend you? The Lord is like, hang up the phone. I know what I'm doing with you. Let them go. I'm working on you right now. But we tend to, I want to be loved by all. And there's some people the Lord is like, hey, you can probably minister to them later. But you can't be with them right now. They are detrimental to your health. Mm -hmm. They are going to hurt you because you're not strong enough to stand against it to minister. You'll find yourself doing what they do and then trying to be back with the Lord. We've got to be strong enough for this. But them that are without God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So, you know, God wants us to be separated unto him, be made whole, and then be brought in. But in order for these things to happen, we have got to go through the fire. It is so important that we go through. Now, we don't get to pick and choose our fiery trials. You best believe if you be of Christ, they will come. If you are a threat to the devil, he will come see you. And God is going to let him. Why? Because you need to be tried. It is so important that we know what we're in. He'll do it. All you got to do is stand for Jesus. All you've got to do is be godly and trials and, and tribulation will come your way. But if you're someone as a Christian just living in peace, no trials, no nothing, you're not a threat. Trust me, when you become a threat, the devil is going to come see you and God is going to let him because you need to be tried. I'm telling you, and it's not a strike against anybody. This is just being up front. He's, Paul said those who live godly you're going to suffer persecution. Why? Because you're going to represent the Lord wherever you are. Like Carlin said, when I'm there, I put in my time. This is what I do. The Lord's work first. Sarah goes at work, speaks of the Lord. Things come your way, and you've seen what it's cost you. But, see, you know, being godly, you're going to go through this because this is what God requires. And God's will is separate from the devil's will. So if we want to be tried and we want the fire, if we want the power of Christ, if we want Jesus living in us, we have got to get in the fire. Because God is, you know, he's meant, he's meaning for us to walk in this thing and to have more faith that he might be glorified. 
but we've got to trust him. Because Pastor Price is funny. He said, you know, because a lot of people walk out in pride in the spirit. He said, I'm telling you what the Lord did to me. One day the Lord's going to lock you in a cage with a demon, and we're going to find out what you got. He's going to get you all out in a place where you're alone, and now the devil's going to come see you. Yeah. So we've got to be tried, but we got to walk the talk. And that's all the Lord wants us to do. So I just want to tell people with that, I love you. And um, don't be afraid of the fire. If we live godly, it is promised to us. Amen. That is an essential part of our growth. So Sarah's got something. Oh, I'll put the Bible in. I'll grab another one. Alright, I'll have everyone go to Psalm 24 in verse 1. Alright, so Psalm 24 in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded upon his seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who have not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing of the Lord in righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of, the, of them that seek them, of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, say law. So with this, I actually want to give a testimony of a documentary I saw a couple of nights ago on this young man from Africa in the 1700s. His name was Samuel Morris, and y'all can look him up in your spare time, but he came from the Crew tribe in Africa, and um, make a long story short, he was taken um, into captivity by the uh, neighboring tribe, and he was like the prince of the, I guess the king of the tribe, of the Crew tribe. Well, the, the, the neighboring tribe fought against them and took him captive. And because uh, his tribe could not come up with the ransom, they kept him there for like, uh, it was like several months. And he was tied up in the center of the village and they beat him all the time. He's like 16 years old. They beat him. He would go several days without food. And uh, right as they were getting ready to kill him, this bright light shone down upon him. And his bands were loosed, and he and the voice told him to flee. And so he said in the account that he was just, it was a miracle to him that he even had the strength. He actually ran for like two days uh, to, I guess it was like, Spirit. yeah, exactly. Ooh. And he said the light shone on him and took him to, I think it was a Liberia or whatever, some mm -hmm. other a town in, in, in Africa. Mm -hmm. And when he got there, the first person he spoke to actually spoke his language. And um, he was able to get hired on in, the, in the, the place where he was at, but he found himself in a ministering Bible camp mm -hmm. that he was at. Mm -hmm. And so they took him in and he started learning the English language. But in order, you know what they gave him to teach him the language? They the gave Bible. him the, the Bible. Yeah. And the woman there that was teaching the young people um, spoke to him, and he, he started learning the language. And he got the first story that she spoke that he heard was of Paul's account when he was converted from Saul to Paul. And she told him about how the bright light shone around him and said, Paul, Paul, why, why persecutest thou me? Mm -hmm. And the guy that was telling the narrative said at that time that 
you know, they, they just sat quietly and listened. And, but this young man was so overtaken because that same thing happened, happened to him. To him. He yeah. jumped up and said, that's what happened to me. And he's like, I want to learn about Jesus and the Bible. And through over the next several months, he asked the woman so many questions about the Bible that uh, it, it basically she, he kind of became a nuisance to her. Mm-hmm. And he said, Samuel, I've taught you everything that you know. The next person you, you want to speak to is this Nathan guy. And he's like, well, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, so who's this guy? And she was saying it kind of facetiously, mm-hmm. but he was so convinced that he wanted Jesus Christ in his life continuously that he had to go find this man. And she's like, well, he's in America. He's like, well, then I'm going to... He, he always referenced Jesus Christ as his father. Mm-hmm. He says, well, I'm going to go talk to my father about this. And they said that he would be out there for hours upon hours on end in Africa talking to Jesus all the time and he said well Jesus told me my father told me I'm supposed to go to America and she's like but how are you gonna get there the only way is by ship he's like well I that I'm gonna go and he went down to the port and the captain at first wanted to refuse him to go on a ship but eventually he would let him on mm-hmm. and eventually he would make it over to America but because of his conversion was so within him the, the ruffians on the ship, and you talking about murderers and stuff like that, were on the ship. He said, by the time they got to America, which took three weeks to get there, half the ship had, had asked Jesus Christ into their heart, including the captain. That's right. And when he got to America, that and he eventually found this gentleman, and they actually took him uh, to a college um, there in Fort Wayne mm-hmm. uh, to learn more that by the time he got there, the, the Holy Spirit was so... And he was looking for the Holy Spirit, not even realizing the Holy Spirit was already within him. Mm-hmm. Because while he was there, students were wanting to come to him and talk to him. He said half the campus, which at that time was studying philosophy and Aristotle, had been converted <laughs> and to come to know Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. And unfortunately, he ended up dying at the age of 20. And from a, yeah, exactly, from an illness that he got from going to a Bible study. And they said, Samuel, you'll be fine. He said, no, my father's calling me home. They said at his funeral, more than half the town had come to his funeral. And his entire goal through this experience was to go back to his tribe in Africa, the crew tribe, and tell them about Jesus Christ. And he thought he wasn't going to get to do it, but so many students were convicted by what he had done. They all signed up to go back to Africa and to tell his tribe. You see how the word lives on? That inheritance, being in the spirit, goes beyond the physical. You could be dead and gone, but your words will still have life because they be in Christ. Exactly. And he, he just did not have any outside distractions. He was so convinced that the Lord had been in him. And I, I truly, I, when I, I mean, I, I cried when I heard, when I saw that testimony because it's like he didn't let, and he seemed cold to some people at times because mm-hmm. he was so convinced about doing the Lord's will that he didn't have any, uh, one guy called it blind faith that he basically went on. And I say it's not blind faith, but it's you're so consumed with the Holy Spirit and you so want the Lord to dwell in you and to be pure and to be changed it's like you're not going to let any other outside distractions keep you from that hunger and keep you from that desire. Oh, yeah. So that's pretty much what I had. That's awesome. You know, because that's what I want, man. 
That's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. That's what I want, man. This is what this whole study was about. And he is, was only 16 years old when it happened. But you say, Lord, <laughs> I mean, it's not about how old you are, right, how long you've exactly. been in it. It's what you're willing to do for the Lord. And I mean, that's what I want. I want real revelation, man. I want the Lord really doing real work in me, mm -hmm. you know? And I can admit that I'm not there. You know, there are things that the Lord has done. Praise his name for what mm -hmm. he's done. But I want more. You want to go as far as you can go in Christ. Not for my glory, but you know what I'm saying? What's more exciting than doing the Lord's will in everything? Exactly. But you see, it's this world. It's this not being in the fire. It's this not taking life as serious as every day mattering. Every moment meaning something to the spirit. That's what I'm talking about, man. This, man, I mean, there's nothing wrong with this, but this is what the Lord was talking about that he's kind of tired of. You know, he wants people that are for real, that mean business, that want to get involved in this. You know, that's why he said, man, your solemn meetings and your feast, and these things, are they trouble me. But what he wants is, man, freed from the world that your will can be done. I mean, Lord, if I can die, I mean, you know, knowing you, and I can die doing your will, then sign me up because I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this life. I'm sick of every little piece that goes along with the world. I want to be freed that Christ may be glorified. Amen, that's right. Amen. All right, so we're going to pray out. Oh, boy, who wants to pray? I'll pray. All right. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this moment, Lord, that we've had together, that we got to be in your word, Lord, that we got some understanding of what your desire is for us. We are grateful, Lord, that you baptized us in the Spirit, but, Lord, we want the fire. Yes, Lord. We want to be as close to you as we can. We want to consume this fire within us that we might infect others. Yes. That there be no dead works in our lives, Lord, no affectations, no spiritual, uh, you know, maybes. But, Lord, we want you living in us. We want your power upon this ministry. Yes, we want you, Lord, to be in us and work through us that other people might get saved. I pray for the brethren, Lord. I pray that this message goes viral. I pray that people understand what it is to know you and that they that this world is just one great big deception, one great big lie, that this is only in harvest, Lord. This is only a field that you mean for your workers to do in the vineyard, that they may call people unto eternal yes, life. Jesus. I pray for a strong presence of the Holy Ghost right now, Lord. I pray that your spirit and your words be heard while our, while our hearts are open, yes. that the power, Lord, may fall upon us, not for our glory, Lord, but that your will be done. I'm sick of playing games. I'm sick of doing things that are not that you want. I'm sick of trying to make something out of nothing. Lord, we need inflammation. We want to be inflamed, and we want to burn with fire. We want real fire. We want Holy Ghost fire. We want Jesus Christ to lead this march. And Lord, I pray, Lord, from this moment on that we live our lives in accordance with you. I pray that you take these prayers, Lord, with an open heart, that we see them as serious, that you might grant us such a wish. What greater glory is there than to serve you with our every beings and that this world is a lie, Lord, and all it's trying to do is keep that fire from burning. Well, I pray, Lord, that it happens no more. I pray that wherever you bring us, Lord, that you might be, your will might be done. I pray, Lord, 
that we just understand where we are and what we need to do for you. I'm tired of the games. I'm tired of the dead works. I'm tired of doing things for the for the the likes of men, you know, for the pleasures and cares of this life. Lord, what could that be according to I mean, how can that have any significance compared to the King of Kings? Compared to eternal life. Compared to a place where thief nor rust can come and destroy your true treasures that we might be with you in all of eternity, the one and true only God. Lord, I pray that you do these things for your glory and honor. Lord, place those cloven tongues that you gave the disciples upon our heads tonight. I pray, Lord, that we wake up new, new creatures, new creations with new perspectives and full of you. Lord, do it, Lord. Do it for your glory. Do it for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.